Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Dr. Jesus Hernandez Burgos. Dr. Jesus walks us through his journey in life as what it was like growing up in the countryside of Puerto Rico. Having a solid foundation from his family and rustic roots, he moved into bigger cities later in his life. Facing challenges, hardships, and a family tragedy, Dr. Jesus found a passion for the art of drag, which helped him travel all over the world. All the while, he was finishing his doctoral program, which would take him to Washington, D.C. to work for the federal government. Let's hear Dr. Jesus' story. Hey, Jesus, how's it going today? Pretty good, thank you. What about yourselves? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's getting close to the weekend, and we're getting ready to uh, have a little bit of time with you. So it's it's excellent. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm just excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm very excited too. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, <laughs> I no, appreciate our, that. Our, uh, yeah, our pleasure. So you are talking to us today from Washington D.C. area. Is that correct? That's correct. Washington, beautiful Washington, D.C. Actually, the weather is becoming better. So hopeful that I can give, give more better reviews about the city because I recently moved here <laughs> within this pandemic. And, and just to give everyone a little bit of context, the, the weather in D.C. is not exactly the weather you grew up with as, as a child. Where did you grow up as a kid? I actually, I was born in the south area of the island in, in Puerto Rico. I'm from a city called Juana Diaz. Actually, that city, there, the people call it like the Three King City, and I was born during um, actually on that day too. So the the name of the city, and I was actually the gift for my family because the Three Kings in Puerto Rico is like our Santa Claus, and it, and that is like uh, something that is happening. Well, we got that from the Spaniards when they actually colonized us back in the 18th century, something over there. <laughs> <laughs> so your birthday is on Three Kings Day, is that what you, is that you? Exactly, which is January 6th. So you're a gift. You're, you're... I'm a gift, of course, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm all wrapped in a beautiful bow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I love a good entrance. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so what was it like, you know, you, you grew up down there. Was there, were you from a big family, small family? What was that like? Well, actually, um, my family, which um, my grandma took care of, like, all, all her kids, that was, she actually had 14. So there were 14 of them between aunts and uncles that I have, and I cannot tell exactly the amount of cousins that I have. <laughs> Because it's a lot of them, but my grandma was the kind of person that um, that had this kind of like little farm, mm. and there in in Juana Diaz, and she used to have cows and pigs and all of that for sale, and she even had a kiosk for um, for sandwiches. So she was like a businesswoman that actually went into education later in life after she had all her all her kids, mm. and um, and growing over there, it was pretty much amazing because of the fact that I grew up next to a river. Hmm. And and behind the house, um, when there was no electricity and um, water system before I was born, people used to go down there to do their like wash their clothes and get water for like you know have their bath at homes and all of that. But it was an amazing area to be at because it, it pretty much gave me another side of like I was not a urban guy, I was pretty much a rural guy coming to the city to study when I <laughs> went to school, which was amazing because 
because um all, always seeing these kind of like horses around and uh, around and you can even go and 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 play with them around it was really nice like without any kind of fee mm. <laughs> so so it was it was amazing to live in this kind of neighborhood the neighborhood actually is called tijeras which in Spanish, which is, that is in spanish but in english is scissors so um, it is actually a very nice neighborhood. I always recall it because um, everything goes um, all the time back over there to, through that to the neighborhood. Actual, actually, mm. that's like uh, you were. I mean, you sort of had like the best of both worlds, right? Like growing up, sort of in more of this like rural environment. You're like immersed in nature. It's all about, I would guess, like family and your you know your community, and then being able to later in life go off and to live in you know larger cities. You sort of get that like balance of a metropolis sort of lifestyle, but then always have like the ability to be able to go back to know that that's where your roots are from or that's where you come from. Yeah. And actually one of the good things and that happens sometimes when I, when I'm in Puerto Rico, because I, I travel there quite often. And when I was there, not living necessarily over there, I always remember there's something that came to my mind that was like, what makes you happy right now? So and what really makes me happy was go back over there, even though that probably my grandma was not at her house or the neighbors or anything, just to be there and just take a breath of it there. It always kind of settled me down and makes me feel always better. So that's why I always said that if I ever pass away, just place my ashes over there in a tree in that neighborhood mm. because I know we'll live there forever very happy. Yeah. <laughs> because mm. that's what I really, yeah. I, that's like the place that my happy place. Let's say that way. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that you you have gone out and done some pretty amazing things in life. I'm just curious, a little foreshadowing. As a kid, was there anything that interested you um, in, in school that, that stuck out to you that really uh, you excelled in? Uh, I was in ev- everywhere. <laughs> in Spanish, they call it arroz blanco, which is white rice, which is everywhere. So everything started with a science fair. Mm. Everything started with a science fair, and my very first time, um, it was actually my grandma who gave me the topic to do my science fair project, and it was to to use actually the aloe vera for um different um house chores, like to for domestic uses. So I did my very first project into like use it as a detergent. How did you can use it as insecticide, and using that um experimenting that you know on the way getting prepared for the science fair. It got me to win the very big award, the grand prize, the highest wow. project of the science fair. And I was like, oh, my God. So it <laughs> all started to give me confidence at that moment. And um, and after that, I went into debate contest, geographic contest, um, speech contest. You name it. I was everywhere in school and Red Cross clubs, science fair clubs, you name it. So it was, it was like a lot of things that actually I have to thank all of that today because all those experiences helped me a lot in college. Mm-hmm. Like either, um, like when I had to write all my speeches and all of that, you're pretty much writing an essay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and all of that gave me the, the, the opportunity to enhance those skills. When I got into college, it was not that hard at all to get into that kind of like concepts and, and homeworks that are kind of quite different than school. So it was, it was, you know, a great experience to be in the, in those kind of things involved. Mm. I'm just curious that just cause I, I kind of like, I have this, uh, I love this love for, for the land and the earth and like being able to go back to places that are more rural and just to have that 
breath of the air and get my hands in the soil, that kind of a thing. Um, was aloe vera natural? Did aloe vera grow around where you where you grew up? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. we had it at every in, in the part in the back of our yards all the time. So it's just there so, in your backyard, and you fix and you and you use that for your science experiment. You just go out there, and you just grab it, and you know, take uh-huh. it with a knife and take it home, and then you just peel it off and do all your whatever you're gonna do. If, if it's like something for your coffee, for your coughing, or anything that you want to do with it, even for the skin. I remember my grandma was telling me that it was really good for skin and all of that. I don't use it; I actually use it to you know. I'm 35 right now, so <laughs> <laughs> things are getting you know. That on the hill right now, <laughs> so <laughs> I should go back and get with me some aloe vera from there. <laughs> so that that science experiment with the aloe vera, then like it was like one, it was like oh, like you you had the experience of, of, of the fair, and then it's just like it almost like awakened sound like uh, this this thing in you to want to excel and continue to experience more things in life. Oh, definitely. Uh, that was the, the the beginning of everything. Actually, when I was in um, in high school, not necessarily related to science, uh, I was in a geographic contest in ge- geography, you say it that way, yes. And I remember that well, I, I got the, the first place and one of the prizes was this application to get into a science program that was with the National Institute of Health, which is actually here in, in, in Maryland, Washington, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that I got the application, so I was not in yet. So I have to apply. <laughs> it was just the application, okay? <laughs> So it was probably a copy of a copy of a copy of an application at that moment. And um, and I actually applied for that program. And I remembered that the day that was the deadline for, um, for to send it out, actually reading the application, I did not know that I had to handle that application to the local school of medicine in Ponce mm-hmm. first. And they will have to select the students and tell the program which are the students that are going to be representing Puerto Rico mm-hmm. um, within that research program. Well, I didn't know that channel. I didn't know that I had to go through that because my my teacher was not at school at the day of the deadline. So when I went to uh, handle it in, I saw that she was not around. And I saw that the application said to send it to Los Angeles, California, because the Charles University were the recipient of, uh, of one of the grants of the NIH to manage that program. So... I sent it out to California. I didn't know. So <laughs> I went to the mail office and I sent it out to California uh, via FedEx and, and they got it on time. But I didn't know anything after like, that was like probably on February or March. And by the probably mid-May of that year, I received a call and my English was terrible. Mm. Terrible, terrible. It was only he, she, it, you, me, they. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. And um, and when I was, and I received that call, and I was the only one actually at my house. Actually, at that moment, that the finances of my of my stepfather and mom was not that good. But I used to do the homework of all my peers at school that I charged them. Mm. So I have a prepaid phone, and I was the only one who had a cell phone at that time. So I was all the time, you know, on top of my things, <laughs> having my phone already well paid. <laughs> And there were plans at that time that you only pay like $30 and you got all the received calls for free. And so that's the one that I had. Yeah. And <laughs> you call and, me. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. You call me. And when I even call people, allow it to like ring like two times and they know that they have to call me back. <laughs> that was a trick. That was the trick. So, and, and pretty much, you know, doing, uh, receiving this call on um, during May, um, they asked me like, you know, 
why did you send the application over here and all of that? And I explained them what happened. Like I'm on the best of my ability at that moment. And I said, oh, wow, they called me. But they didn't tell me that I was like selected or anything like that. And I remember her. Her name is Emma Taylor. And um, she was the coordinator of the program, actually. So... I got a call from these people, but they just told me that they were just, you know, calling to see how did I get the application and how did I actually, why did I send it over there? And my, and my teacher got mad mm. because I didn't follow the proper channels, but I was never informed about it. And it got to the point that even my teacher told me, I will make sure that you not, will not get into the program because you did not follow the right steps. And that was like really hurtful for me as, Imagine me, a kid in 10th grade, yeah. trying to pursue like many dreams and all of that. A teacher that tells you that, it will, you know, make you fall down. And I I said, well, you know what? Take all my application out. I don't want to know anything because I was um, actually rehearsing to be the master of ceremony of the senior class um, graduation. Mm-hmm. And, and she said that in front of like all teachers and all of that. I believe the other teachers did not like what she did because I think it was pretty immature at that time <laughs> to get in the middle of like any student and the opportunities. So um, I realized, so I'm out. So I didn't, I said, they would probably call on my application, I drop it, I drop out, so it's fine. So like three weeks after that, I got into the summer program that that summer program pretty much went over like students and sciences and all of that of a, of a, of a local college. And I remember that one day I got out of the program and when I got out of the program, um, I had my cell phone off and I had a voicemail. Mm. And I was a blockbuster. Do you remember blockbuster? They used to run movies yeah, and all yeah, of that. Video. So, yeah. <laughs> I turned on my phone over there and I remember I used to love wrestling. So don't don't ask me why, but I used to. So <laughs> <laughs> So are you your blockbuster looking for wrestling videos? What's going on? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was renting all events just to pretty much go and and see what happened during previous events of those um, stars that I u- I used to love to see on TV, mm-hmm. to see their story and. When I was there, I got the, the voicemail. When I got the voicemail, it was her. It was the same lady again saying, hi, this message is for Jesus Hernandez. This is Miss Emma Taylor from Charles U University from the National High School Student Summer Research Program. And I'm calling you to let you know that you are in. And and I'm, and I was like, am I? You know, my English was really bad, but, but I understood. I understood everything that she said. I will never forget that. Actually, probably saying like the, the same when that she actually left to me that voicemail. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? Now, I was, I was already on summer. School was not open. So what am I supposed to do? So And that actually, I called the next day because it was already late. And she told me to report to the, the School of Medicine in Panza, which was the town next to Juana Diaz, which I was born. Mm-hmm. And from there is pretty much when everything started for me in sciences because mm-hmm. my goal was to study journalism. And mm-hmm. then after that, I fell in love with sciences, biomedical sciences. Is now how I developed myself into sciences and being in, in the career that I am today. So that's the whole back story <laughs> with all of that kind of like um, my science career. Yeah, no, I, so, I, so I love that. And like right at the end there, you said something where you really, you wanted to be in journalism and somehow like 
the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, sort of like redirected you. And you went through all of these, you know, hoops and, you know, sort of hiccups along the way, but you got to where you were supposed to be. So I think that that's just like, it's just one of those like quiet reminders. Like when you sit and reflect on like things that happen in your own life where you're like, you know, I thought I was going to go right when really I went left and that's where I was really supposed to be. Sometimes in the moment you don't understand that that's where you're supposed to be going, but it's, I think it's always interesting to like look back and say like, you know, this is, this could have been a a pivotal moment in my life and I went this way and now I'm here and it gives me what I need today. I think that that's just a a great reminder for a lot of people. Oh, and actually I have to tell you something about what I did when I came back, um, when the classes started next year after that. So that teacher did that to me. So I was pretty like, you know, I wanted to get revenge (laughs) because of what you did to me. What did and you, you know do? what I did? <laughs> well, well, that research program allowed me to be in Puerto Rico for um, about eight to ten weeks um, doing research. And then I traveled to here to Washington, D.C. for the very first time back in 2001 to present that research project. So mm-hmm. I bought her a souvenir. And that souvenir was a spoon. I will always remember that. I will never forget it. Um, and my mom was like, why did you buy that? I was like, that's the spoon for her to eat what I did during the whole <laughs> summer. <laughs> how, how, wait, how old were you? I was like 15. I was like 15 years old. And I went back and I remember she was alone in her, um, (laughs) um, you know, hours that they can take for like prepared classes and all of that. And I went like doing my wrong way through her (laughs) desk. Um, But... And I gave her this souvenir. She was like, what is this for? I was like, oh, this is a souvenir for Washington. Did you remember? You didn't want me to go, but I went. And this is what I actually got for you. So you can, you know, have it there. Um, something that I did over there. So, and she was like, like this. She didn't say anything. She had like her eyes open. Mm-hmm. And I was like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and I went out. So, so she yeah. always hated me. Yeah. She always yeah. hated me. Yes. That's- but. It is what it is. <laughs> you know, it, it is it is challenging. Like, and I and I think back about like back in school, like the, like let's say like in fourth grade, I had a teacher who was like my biggest champion, and then in fifth grade, for some reason, the teacher wasn't feeling me, so I wasn't feeling her. So like, I just checked out. And and I think it's really important that you know that that's just like I have such a respect for educators that pour right. love into students and um and that really do it well. And but I also what I also see is like kind of like a like a world like a, a lesson we can all take to heart is is that we as a society as a culture we we create like we, we try to organize things to to organize life we put these systems government uh, relationships schools and what I'm getting at is is that yeah that like these things are good but sometimes we create a law we create a rule and and it. And it's like the the, the the bigger the bigger mission is for you to be educated as that fifteen year old boy and to get into that system. That's very and, true. And, and, and the fact that and sometimes like I guess like I guess my personal experience is I look back on how many times like God the universe that I've gotten from point A to point B and it's been totally the way the map GPS would have said not to go that way mm, and it right. went a totally different way. And I think that we have to. Be careful to not chastise or or take the wind out of somebody's sail if they're getting there in a different direction um, in life, and and also sometimes that causes us to be like, oh wait, like it questions like if it, this person is doing this and this, what am I doing wrong? And it makes us feel uncomfortable. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's what where the lesson is. It's like, oh, this person's like Jesus is my teacher, right? Like mm-hmm. the roles have actually been reversed. Jesus became the teacher. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's very true. It's very true. Actually, a friend of mine that was next to me when that happened. Nowadays, we talk about that when we're drinking. 
<laughs> and every time that we are drinking, that story always comes back. And, and it's like, she was, you know, I don't want to say the word really loud, <laughs> but, you know, come on, how are you going to do that to a 15-year-old boy? And, and even more at those times, I was struggling with, like, coming out, too. Mm. So imagine me trying to come even so my family can understand me at that time. And it was pretty much more, I was more concerned about my mom because I only care more about her. Uh, my stepfather was a person that was there, but I didn't have like that kind of like trust to kind of talk to him about any kind of like boy problems or anything because they never saw him like that. But imagine a 15 year old boy struggling with like this kind of being re rebelled, you know, at the, during those times and getting to be an adult mm. and also having someone that want to put a huddle in your in your way to you know, to achieve your dreams and where you are projecting yourself to be at and that was very immature of our but i forgive her i just that's you know that just comes out um when we when we drink <laughs> and then my and the friend that was next to me we always when we had drinks always comes back and it's like i know i'm so sorry for her so i hope that she's well yeah. <laughs> it's in our lives, I feel like there are times I can look back at like teachers that said stuff to me and that were negative or not encouraging. And I can remember those moments when then I know that I also had this whole like cheerleading squad of teachers and educators behind me that said wonderful things to encourage me. And I can't remember exactly what they said. And it's, you know, it's funny how like, you know, we think about like, kids and especially today and then even like you know queer youth it's like those one people just don't understand like how impressionable people are at a young age and how you just have to be really careful with your word choices and what you say to people i i feel like um you know jeff and i have young nieces and nephews and and watching them sort of grow up it's like one of those things where they take on a lot of what we say and it's like you exactly. just have to be really careful you know with what you're saying to kids i i, I was going to ask you uh you know you said that you went through this process of coming out uh to, you know to your family and whatnot with your mom did that your coming out process with your mom how was that wow that was quite well i now seeing it back i i can say well it was difficult because of the fact in the area that I was there is well when I go back even nowadays to Puerto Rico I feel the whole machismo yet mm. around yeah. you know I'm more in those cities that are not metropolitan areas that people are not that exposed to understand the, the LGBT community at all mm -hmm. so um, for me I remember that I started to actually it was on my birthday mm. that I actually stole the keys of the car of my mom <laughs> and I was about to turn 17 and I call a friend of mine and she only had $10 Mm. So, and I told her, well, there's a club in Ponce that I think that we can pass and we say that we don't have IDs. So may, we may pass as 18 maybe, but she was older than me, so she could pass, but not me. And was when my, it was my birthday and my mom didn't want to do my birthday because I was not having a good behavior, according to her. So I was mad because she didn't do a birthday to me. And I took the keys and I stole the car and I grabbed my friend with me and we went to the club with only $10. And the budget was to $3 the entrance each and $4 of, of gas. So she could not tell that we used the car. 
so, <laughs> so <laughs> but <smart>. my friend <laughs> but my friend told me how are we gonna drink and i'm like girl no worry i'll take care of that i'll find somebody over there that can take care of the drinks <laughs> Super smart. <laughs> so no worry about that. I'll take care of that o- over there. And, and you know, I probably had the pressure that I needed to find somebody that paid the drinks that night that I, I went, um, I went, remember I went back to the, to the, to the bathroom and like when I was coming back to the bar, I saw this guy that looked at me and I was like, okay, bingo. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and then he kind of like got close to me and I said, like, do you have anything to talk with? And he was and he was like, no. And if you don't, um, you know, if you ever ask me to talk, I was going to add to ask you to talk. And I was like, oh, perfect. Come on over. What's your name? And he, he told me his name, what, you know, is Tony. And then I come over my friend Myra that was at the bar waiting for me. And I said, Myra, this is Tony. Tony, this is Myra. So this I just met him right now. And he started to pay the drinks. And I told her, like, see, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and I never knew that was going to be my very first boyfriend for four years. Oh, wow. Wow. So that was the guy that I was with when I actually came out to my mom. Mm. So I was already with him in a relationship when I um, I, I remember my mom was in her, on her bed. And she said, like, what's going on? I said, like, I need to talk to you, but you need to come with me to my room. Mm. And she was like, what's going on? So just, she was, she thought it was probably something that didn't have that much importance. And I said, no, you need to come to my room. So I was like very bossy. Like I'm very sure, you know, of what I'm saying and what I'm going to do. So when she went to my room, I actually told her, well, I have to tell you something. I'm going out with someone and it's not a girl. And she was like, don't talk to me right now about anything of that. So no. Close the door and go to sleep. And I was like, okay, I told you already. So (laughs) (laughs) you have it. I cannot do anything else. So you know it already. But she was a little bit concerned because he was um older than me. I was I just turned 17 and he was 32. Oh, there's a little bit of an age so, difference there. Uh, yeah. Yes. So it was like, I, you know, it looked like daddy issues, but it was not like that. I just like him. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, so that's how I came out to my mom. And then little by little, she was the person that actually told me, can you tell him to come around? Mm. And, you know, and because she knew that I was like going to my soccer practices and and, and volleyball teams and he was visiting me over there. Mm-hmm. And, and she was like, you know, understanding what was going on. And probably she, she said better to have it closer than have it, you know, over there and not knowing what was going on. And she asked me for him to come home. Mm. And I was like, okay, that was so awkward. Mm. It was so weird. But after that, you know, even nowadays, we're not together. We were four years together, but we are friends. Mm-hmm. So it is a good thing. And he's part of like, let's say a part of the family too. When and it comes down, when my mom comes to, to the US to visit me, he picks her up and take her to the airport and all of that. So mm-hmm. it's part of like somehow of the family. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it had a good ending. That is interesting because that could have gone a totally different, like you can look at that and be like, oh, that story could have gone a totally different direction. So during this time in that relationship with Tony, you move on to college. Where did you, did you go to school in, in, in Ponce? Where was school at for college? So I actually, this boyfriend used to live in the metropolitan area in San Juan. Mm-hmm. I'm from, I was from the South, which for us, one hour and 10 minutes away is like from here to Florida, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very mm-hmm. far away in Puerto Rico. And he used to come down like 
almost every two or three days and during the weekends and all of that. So when I was over there, so I wanted to go to study in San Juan because my boyfriend was there. <laughs> and I, you know, we were getting to the point when he was like approaching me to study there in San Juan after getting out of high school and that I could even um, live with him because he has an apartment over there. And I said, okay, well, I think I got, you know, what I want. And uh, my stepfather actually took me to um, the university University of Puerto Rico in Rio Piedras, which is in San Juan. And I, because I was late, because I applied for other colleges at the South, but at that moment when I decided then that I was going to San Juan, it was already past the deadline. Mm. So he took me to the admissions office and I said my case and my case and, and I told them I pretty much make a whole drama. <laughs> and that guy that was assigned to, to my case, I realized that he was gay. Mm. And he actually helped me and he even enrolled me right away. And I knew that I was accepted into the sciences program of the University of Puerto Rico. He's on my GPA, everything. So I was like, of course, why not? Mm. And I got enrolled over there. It was so, this was so random. It was like a lucky day or something like that. Mm. I don't know. And over there, that's how I got into the University of Puerto Rico in Rio Piedras in San Juan to do my bachelor's. And then it's when I do my master's degree and my doctorate in Ponce mm. at the Ponce Health Sciences University that it used to be Ponce School of Medicine. So you're in school, but before you get into graduate school or like somewhere around this time, you also discover a, a different art form. You discover the art form of drag. Can we talk about how that happened? It all happened when I was, let's say that everything... Um, goes back to reference to what happened to me exactly in my very first year of college. So when I, when I was on my very first year of college, um, on my second semester, it was February 23rd of 2004, and my boyfriend got home that day, and even very early, I was about to go to college. I had an exam that day. And he said, oh, let's go to Calle. Calle is a city in between San Juan and my hometown. So and he said, let's go over there. And to handle some beers, which is so random, <laughs> to a friend of mine that we're going to exchange because I bought it for him um, cheaper here. And I have them in my trunk. And I was like, why do you want me to go with you? <laughs> because the, even the night before, I had an argument with him and I kicked him out of the apartment. But mm. he came over and I thought that he was just coming to apologize of what he did that night. And But the night before of that day, I was actually... Well, I'm a Catholic person. I was raised as a Catholic. And I'm, you know, I have sometimes my my time with God and I communicate. And, you know, that night I prayed a little bit about and when I was uh, praying, I got like goosebumps. Mm. I remember that. And I thought it was because of like the whole situation that I have with my boyfriend at that moment. And then the next day, when he came and took me to this specific place, then he 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 told me something that was going to change my life forever. And he said, well, I want you to be strong, to have all this strength and, and be sure that this will not make you to fall apart and that you will continue to do everything that you want to do in life. Mm. And I said, like, did he cheat on me last night? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I actually, <laughs> that's what I actually, the only thing that crossed my mind at that specific moment. And, and then he said, like, your mother is fine. And I was like, oh, this has to do with my family. 
uh, your mother is fine, your nephew is fine, but my nephew was 11 months only at that time, and your stepfather is fine. And I asked him right away, did he kill her? And he just nodded like, yes. And I understood there was my sister that was murdered be, um, by her husband because of domestic violence. Oh. And it was such a terrible... I I know that after that moment, I don't remember anything until like probably an hour after that. Yeah. An hour after that, um, he took me to where my mom was. So this situation was like really quite tragic that it got into all the news mm. of the island because he stole the, uh, the the gun that his father used to. He was a correct, he's a, I'm not sure if it's retired right now, a correctional guard. And he stole it from the safe box. And he actually went over. My my sister already got separated when when about 10 months before that, mm. when my, my nephew was just a month old. But, you know, they had their, their situations and all of that. And uh, when she was getting it, that was the, her very first day that she was going to do her practicum as a teacher. She was going to get graduated that year, um, on, on May of that same year, as a elementary school teacher. And um, she got out at 7 o'clock in the morning. And my mom uh, was next to her and she started to argue with him because he just got in front of the house and all the neighbors were even out, getting out to go to school, you know, morning routine. And he just took out the gun when he, he got into this um, argument with her and um, shot her two times. And he even tried to shoot my mom t- first. And and my mom actually, what she did was she had my nephew on her arms and she faked that she was um, shot so she could protect my nephew. So she wow. was on top of my nephew. And it was for her, my mom this is my mom telling me all of this when I got back, you know, to my hometown, when my boyfriend took me over there, we got into a room together alone and she told me everything that happened. And after that, um, it was like, what are we going to do? You know, there's this child that is um, 11 months. Um, pretty much he lost his mom and his father at the same time. Yeah. And I was the only, we were only two at my house, my sister and myself. So that makes me to become a dad at 18 years old. Mm. So I became a dad at that time. And um, I'm from 18 years old until like 22, rough 23, I was doing my bachelor's degree. Actually, as a matter of fact, I don't know how I passed that semester. <laughs> I have no idea. I I just moved on. I remember that the next day of her, of when we, you know, placed, all, you know, when we did all of this at the cemetery and all of that, the next day I went to work mm. and people were like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I have to move on. Don't ask me. Don't be sorry. Don't be. Don't. And the very good thing that happened to me was that I was at undergraduate level. And then the NIH program, the National Institute of Health program of the undergraduate level, that was like a continuation of the high school program, was able to offer me a spot because I applied again. And I came to here to D.C. as a whole internship now that during the whole three months here in, in Bethesda, Maryland, in June 2004. So... I think my therapy to overcome that was exactly to come over here. And when I went back, because I didn't tell that much people over here and people tripping, like nothing happened and I was a normal person. The people were not like, oh, I'm so sorry or anything like that. And I felt like a normal person again. And when, so the therapy of me that that happened to be here in Bethesda at that time, it was the best thing that Mm. happened to me ever. 
because when I went back, I realized that people were at the same place that I left them. Mm, and I wow. already kind of like, I felt better about yeah. it. So that was like what happened in college. And then finishing college, I made this whole network of friends in San Juan and all of that. And I was, or I got single. So <laughs> I got single at that time and some friends from San Juan were close to my hometown in a bar and they was they were in, they were in this bar and I was, re I remember I was studying for a Christian faith class of my undergraduate bachelor's degree and they needed me to take that class in order to graduate. I was trying to skip that course for the end, <laughs> which <laughs> <up> for the end. <laughs> so when I actually finished the, um, I was finishing the semester, my whole, my last um, year at undergraduate level and then I went and these friends of mine said, hey, why you don't come to this bar? We are in Ponce. I was like, what are you doing in Ponce? All the way from San Juan. And they're, well, we're just hanging out. Come over. And I said, of course, yes. So I, Christian faith, whatever, bye. I turned off the computer and, and I went to Ponce. And I got so, 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 so drunk that night that at four o'clock, it started the whole drag show. Hmm. At four o'clock in the morning, okay, because there there's no Puerto Rico close at seven o'clock in the morning, like the bars and all of that. So when uh, when the drag show started, this drag queen sat in the in, on the stage. So tomorrow we will have the very first Miss Wiki Wiki's pageant. That the call the name of the bar was Wiki Wiki's, mm. okay, and it's like a very kind of a weird name. <laughs> <laughs> And I was there with my friends and I said, you know what? I'm going to sign up. I feel that I can do that. I have only dressed at those moments like with a line or anything on Halloween. <laughs> Never doing anything with like a real, you know, makeup as a track to look well on, on, you know, on the stage and with lights and all of that. And I felt that I could do it with my, you know, confident, my, my alcohol confidence. So I signed up. And that's how all this person, Jevea Altieri, comes in. Oh. The whole the whole Jevea Altieri comes down because I had a uh, a dream with my with my sister, and she tells me and in the dream that she was pregnant, and that she wanted to call her her daughter Jevenandali. Oh. So. When I was studying my Christian faith class, I was studying that in Hebrew, um, Jesus, which is my name, is like Jeveh. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, and then my sister's um, name is Migdali. So, it was like a combination of Jesus in Hebrew and Migdali, Jeveh and Nandali. But I remember that I wrote in the dream the, the way that it was supposed to be wrote, wrote down. And when I woke up, I went, I, I remember I got a sticky note and I wrote it down in a place and on, the, mm. on a drawer. Because I didn't want to, because for me at that moment to have that name on my mind was so kind of confusing. I was, I was going to forget mm -hmm. it. And... But when they asked me on the bar what was going to be my drag name, they, they said, okay, we will sign you up. What's your drag name? I said, like, I didn't have any. Mm. And I said, Jevenandali. <laughs> <laughs> Jevenandali. Just came out. And they said, just came yep. out. And then they said, they asked me, like, and your last name? And I was like, well, what did I should use as the last name? 
And that day earlier, I passed by the construction site of the same city. And you know, when these um, majors have their like things in constructions that they said like, you know, well, in Puerto Rico, it's like that. They want to take the credit and they place the name of the major underneath yes. it yeah. and something like that. And it said, Honorable Majita Melendez Altieri. And I found that last name like so pretty. And I said, oh, she's, she's Altieri. That's very cute. And I just remembered that last name at that moment. I said, Altieri. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it all came together. Jevenandali <laughs> Altieri. But people were not able to say Jevenandali and all of that. So people only remember how it is seen, written down, Jeve, which is called, it says Jevea. So people call me Jevea. So I didn't have any choice that to cut the other part and say Jevea Altieri. And that's how I became a drag at that, mo- at that moment as a drag performer. But I went by myself during the first night. I didn't even know how to even talk. I went over there and I had my swimsuit on. And, and this guy told me, would you go out to the stage like that? I'm like, like what? <laughs> and she said, like, <laughs> with that. And she said... Oh, girl, come on. Let's go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) And she take out this um, duct tape. And when I see that, I was like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. What are you doing? And then I realized that all of them, I was like, why they didn't, why I cannot see it? And then they're so plain over there and I'm not. (laughs) So, and it was because the whole talk thing, you have to do Mm -hmm. it. And I didn't know that. So she said, you know, and this is my drag mom who's, who became my drag mom later. And she said, come over here. And she even wrapped me in t- um, paper towel and then placed the tape and all of that. <laughs> and there was an experience because when I got out, I said, oh my God, I feel so feminine. I got it. <laughs> you know, and then when I placed this swimsuit, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. So it was like an old Eureka moment, you know, you, you name it at the moment. It was like, wow. So... I got into the pageant and that night it was presentation of swimsuit. And um, and after that, that night, this guy who became a drug mom told me like, we need to help you because I did the presentation. And when I did the presentation, they realized that I was really good talking. So, and I didn't have a speech ready. I thought it was just to say hi and all of that. And I talked a little bit about me. People were like with this big speech that they started to actually say in it and they forgot it on the, on the way. And I was like the most fluent and natural one that I even won the category. So, and I was not even having a good makeup or anything. I remember my, my eyelashes were I bought in a hot topic <laughs> and, and a very long time ago. And I even looked like a sad sound. They were like going down. Yeah. So I was like really sad and all of that. So that was a mess. But um, that actually helped me to kind of um, demonstrate to these people that I didn't know mm. to that I have some potential. Yeah. So they took me under their arms and the next, the following week was telling and the following week was actually evening out in question. And I ended up winning the pageant. Mm, that's pretty quick, pretty good. So uh, it was my very first. Yeah. So I ended up winning the pageant and that's how I got into the whole pageantry thing. And I was like, this is not my last one. I need another <laughs> one and then another one and then another one. And that's how I became Jevea Altieri and the whole, you know, story short uh, without like a lot of details that I'm skipping because trust me, 
I was a mess when I started and my makeup skills at that time were like really terrible. And I learned a lot from those people and thank God that they actually, you know, were able to be over there. But as a matter of fact, I want to point out something very important Mm -hmm. is that at that moment, my other friends that were not drag, they didn't see that. And within that LGBT community, they saw that as something that was like not part of their groups. And they segregated that type of, of people. And these people pretty much, the ones that, the ones that I met went from like public projects in Puerto Rico. Mm. And I, I, I don't have any kind of like stigma or anything. So I went to visit them and all that. And I lost a lot of friends because of that. Mm. And I said, well, they were not even real good friends because that doesn't have to do anything right. on how actually, you know, uh, what our relationship should be like or should entail. And I lost uh, many, many of them because of that, that even nowadays they try to contact me because I know that they for sure realize what they did. However, the people that take me probably out of trouble or when, when I need help and all of that are these people that I met with and being a drag that actually are so loyal mm. and um, and all the time we take care of each other, not only as a drag, but also as a person. Yeah. And um, I even, you know, have found them to, um, jobs and things like that for them that we take care of each other. Yeah. So I think it was a good step for me to see life within the LGBT within another type of way because I also helped them to get in to more to educate themselves, many of them were doing sex work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I understood that at that moment. And pretty much I I wanted to make them feel that that was not only their option at the same time too. So somehow I became a mentor yeah. too. Two things on sort of what you said sort of back to back. So the, the first thing I... Just to you know, reiterate this and point this out. You said, you know, when you this first you know competition, this first pageant that you did, you said you know that your makeup wasn't right and your outfit wasn't right and you know all of those things. And in my life in producing events, that's my, you know uh, what I've done uh, as my career. And there are times where at an event where you know people are so focused on like what it's going to look like and the decor and all of the the stuff that goes into the room and i feel like right. sometimes what happens is is the content gets overlooked and i've also produced events where like for nonprofits there's one i'm thinking in particular where there's uh, we've done like a a dinner and it's for a nonprofit that is helping kids in education and the right. what happens is is like there really aren't like floral centerpieces the linens aren't great the chairs are kind of mm-hmm. whatever you know and it's not this like grand over the top thing but what happens is is the program is so meaningful and impactful that it leaves a lasting experience on people. And I, I, when you were talking about this, I was like, it's the same thing. Your, your God-given talent came out on stage. It didn't, you could have been wearing a dress. You couldn't wear it. it, You couldn't even have makeup on. It wouldn't have mattered. It's, but when you're standing in the space that you're supposed to be in and you're allowing that gift to come out of you, that's what people remember and that you know that vibration is what people pick up on right within within our same community of like um drag performers we 
care about like looking good. Yeah. But there is something that when you go out like for entertainment of this kind of like benefic events or anything like that, um, people just care about the entertainment and how good you are in terms of like make them feel happy yeah. to laugh and all of that. And it's not about just the costume right. or the makeup or anything. It's about to enjoy the moment. And that's what it makes it different. So there's two sides of this kind of like totally. of this of this kind of like entertainment industry. Yeah. How people feel it and how we can be within the same performers <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> it's like all of that stuff. It's just accessories, the wigs, the makeup. I mean, it's just all exactly. an accessory. And if you don't have the the talent, you don't have the ability to encapsulate people, entertain people, like it doesn't matter. You could have the best wigs. It doesn't and the matter. Best dresses. Actually, the awkwardness, uh, people appreciate being awkward too. Yeah. Um, p- people appreciate people being awkward because they know that you're trying your best. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's almost it's almost like in that awkwardness is like when we're in the crowd, we're with you, like in that awkwardness. We're right? with you, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We know that you are trying to be as feminine as possible, yeah. but if it doesn't come out, it's okay. You get my tip. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's so true. So we know that you went on to do a lot of amazing things in drag that excelled. Uh, you, like for instance, even something that's near and dear to my heart is city of Chicago. And you ended up in Chicago and you were actually invited to, um, to be participated in, in the, uh, was it the Puerto Rican parade that took place? Par- parade. Yes. Yeah. So just going back with that is that, um, pageants gave me a platform. Uh, pageants gave me a platform to, let's say to have uh, like right now a microphone in front of me and pretty much, I always said that if you are portraying an image of a woman trying to mimic that or something, I always wanted to do it in a respectful way. Mm -hmm. But also I realized that not necessarily all the community that that was um, the followers that I was having was people from the LGBT community itself. So I realized there was people that was like many women. And I realized that many women love that, you know, the makeup and the costumes and all of that. And I, and that takes me back to what happened to my sister. Mm. And I said, why not to kind of embrace that what happened to my sister? And now that I have some cow, I like a voice, a platform, I became, I, I went, um, that means it was called Nuestra Belleza Gay in Puerto Rico. Then I went to London and I won another, another international pageant in 2011. And I was becoming more popular, more, you know, as the time passed by. And I realized why not to talk or do awareness about domestic violence mm. that even happened within the LGBT community too. Mm, yeah. So, uh, and I pretty much became a person that was always advocating for that mm. and and because of that in 2014 i wanted to compete in what became like the biggest uh, drag platform pageant in puerto rico that it was called generation mm. generation actually you can go to even youtube and go generation puerto rico and you will find all the videos through dali of 23rd to 23 mm. and you will see a lot of performances of all puerto rican drags that were actually offered the opportunity to be in that stage mm. and they did their pageant, their official pageant. And I I wanted to sign up. I And I was actually kind of like for two years, kind of not, not doing that much drag on the, on during those years. And I said, I need to come back and stronger. But I wanted to have something more solid in Puerto Rico. Many people criticized me, criticized me that moment because I was coming from winning an international pageant. Mm. 
And it's like they it's like you are lowering down yourself. You need to just competing, keep competing international planes and say, no, I want that over here because that platform will give me something else. Mm. And I don't know, I didn't know exactly what was going to give me, but I was picturing myself trying to combine what I like it. So as probably people may not see right now, but you can see here right here, all my dolls that I have over mm. here. So I'm a collector and I do pageants of dolls and I ha I'm in a community of doll collectors that uh, we do pageants and I send the Puerto Rico doll to the different pageants. So we mimic like Miss Doll Universe, Miss Doll World, you name it, all the pageants. And through that, I was actually engaging women into get into going to the pageants, to gay clubs, and I lease my dolls to other drag performers so they could be creative and they can represent a city with their dolls. And over there, we use the space to also promote domestic violence awareness. Mm. So that's how I all it, everything started winning the 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 philanthropic philanthropic work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I should say it like that way, in uh, in English, and winning the drag performances, and then um, I won Miss Generation Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And being Miss Generation Puerto Rico, I went to a pageant in Chicago called Miss Continental. Oh wow, that's a big one. And, yeah. yeah. So over there, Miss Continental, I actually met some people that they're from Puerto Rico, from the Puerto Rican community over there. And then I realized that they saw the work that I was doing. And this girl declined. And the only thing that came to his mind was to talk to Edwin, which was my promoter, and and said, Edwin, do you remember that guy that you know that was working with all of this? He that he's your queen and all of that. And he said, Yeah, Jebea. <laughs> What's going on with her? <laughs> and 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 he said, I would like to see if she's interested to become the Puerto Rican People's Parade Queen. And we are in a very last minute stretch, and we need to know right away. Mm. And Edwin was like, Just give me a minute. He called me, he explained me, I was like, of course, they will pay for the trip. Of course, I don't care. <laughs> Let's go. And I was like feeling like the queen of the universe because they brought me there and I was in this float with a lot of, it was full of people of the Puerto Rican um, area, which is called Humboldt Park over there yeah, yeah. At the, on Division Street. And it was all full of people. And I was like, oh my God, I feel that like I won Miss Universe. It was just <laughs> like that. The receiving of the guy, of the girls that used to win Miss Universe in Puerto Rico. I saw that with my eyes. And I and when I felt myself in a float like that way, there was like, this is the whole ex queen experience. Wow. So it was amazing. But I never got, um, I, I got there. I did my my uh, my performance and, and all of that as, a, as the selected queen of 2015. But I never got out of, of touch of, with them. Mm. So when they go to Puerto Rico, I actually, you know, go to Starbucks, have coffee with them and talk a little bit what I was doing and all my studies. I was, I'm doing my doctoral uh, degree at that moment. So, and I, I was doing epidemiology and they were like very interested to talk about it because they pretty much um, have um, a whole public health program that goes toward HIV prevention. And um, when I was talking to them, they said like, oh, okay, this is good. Maybe someday you can come to Chicago and work with us. And I was like, oh, sure. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not getting out of this island anytime soon. I'm very well over here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not planning anything like that. And at that moment, in two, at the beginning of the ending of 2017, I was working as a public health advisor um, for the CDC San Juan Quarantine Station for the Zika response in Puerto Rico. Mm. And on a Thursday... I, it was the, probably the last week of April, I mean, 2017. And I remember that 
I got this call from the Puerto Rican Cultural Center from Chicago, mm-hmm. offering me a coordinator position for this transgender program that was um, a, a funding from CDC that they got. Uh, but they needed someone who can identify within what they call the trans umbrellas, a trans, we call it transformista in Spanish, drag performer. So mm. they wanted someone who can have some educational experience, um, 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 some education to fill the, the, the position, but at the same time, who was a Latino that understand the communities and all of that. And I said, well, I would not say no right away, but. I'm okay because I have a job here in Puerto Rico. I was not planning that. I was in a relationship at that moment that at that time I have like seven years in that relationship. And I said, like, why to live? But suddenly after that Thursday, a Monday, I got the call that all the contracts with the CDC San Juan Quarantine Station pretty much got shut down and we were about to have our last day in two months. And I... I was the very first one that I was called as an epidemiologist of the station because I went, they called me and I had to go out of the station. They told me, oh, we need you to get out. So they were calling people, people one-on-one. So I had to stay out while they called the next one. Uh-huh. And they said, so people didn't get that kind of like situation inside, which at the end of the day happened because all of us were laid off. Mm. <laughs> so, and when I actually um, um, happened that I said like, I think I have a plan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is all how everything happened. And I said, I called them and I said like, well, and I was smart because I said like, these people, I am worth a lot of money. Mm. So, oh, if I accept, what would you cover through my moving? Because I will move out of Puerto Rico. So, and they said like, well, you know, we can do this or that. And they tried to agree with me with something. And I said, I want this amount of money. They went like 2000 below, below, but I was over <laughs> estimating <laughs> in case it wanted to go down. <laughs> and I said, I accept now. <laughs> <laughs> so I accepted the opportunity and that's why I moved to Chicago in 2017. And I was there for about three years and a half, probably a little bit more. And that's how I became the program coordinator of the Trans Chicago program in Chicago. And then for about three, three months after I started, my my supervisor there saw me the saw me the, the potential to be the public health initiatives director. Mm. So from one program, it became thirteen programs. Wow! So it was insane. So and I got used to. I was a person that I put together like this nonprofit events for performances. I um, but before leaving Puerto Rico, I founded the Miss Gay Puerto Rico contest. So the guys from Miss Gay Puerto Rico came to Chicago also to visit the, the LGBT shelter that we had. And uh, we went to Mexico for pageants too. And we were doing all these campaigns for like you equals you, undetectable, transmittable. So it has been a whole experience. So, and being at the Puerto Rican Cultural Center was a very great school for me because it, I thought that I knew the whole LGBT landscape in Puerto Rico, but definitely when I was there, I really learned that I needed to grow a lot Yeah, yeah. because I thought that I knew everything because do you think that reading it like as a theory or something like that, you know, on books Versus, or, yeah. or any report, but being there on the ground with the community and seeing how vulnerable are, are people, that the struggles that they go through and more when they're like youngsters, that their parents kick them out because they're coming out as LGBT and they're homeless. Mm. This That is something that really I learned so much being in Chicago. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I 
will always be very good uh, knowledge of that with the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. Yeah, you being open, I feel like, you know, throughout your life, it just sounds like, you know, you, you, opportunities sort of present themselves to you. And instead of saying no, like close the door, no, it's like, I, I don't know, maybe not right now. Maybe this isn't the thing. That was a good thing that happened. I didn't say no right away. For some reason, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So, so as you're saying, just like I didn't say no right, right away. It was like ah. it's almost like a little voice inside your head, like tells you like how to yes. handle these things. And mm. I, I just also think too, just in general, I think that thinking about like work, career, life, you know, it, it's saying no. Like if you get that like gut check and it's like no, I'm not supposed to be doing this, then yes. But I feel like if you you don't have that, it's like okay, just like leave things open because then look what happened. I mean, you had that call with them on Thursday and the following Monday you found out you weren't going to have a job anymore. So it was like the timing, you know, couldn't be, you know, more perfect. I do want to bring this up. You did leave, you left Puerto Rico, you came to Chicago and then it was not very long after that Hurricane Maria came through and basically devastated Puerto Rico. And I know that you were very outspoken looking for support from the mainland for, you know, Puerto Rico. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like being here in the States and looking at home, seeing what was happening there? Yes, that was probably one of the most terrible times of my life. Let's say that way, because I moved and I left back, um, who was my, my boyfriend at that moment with the house that we had and my mom, my nephew, and I was over there and I moved three months before, yeah. actually, when that happened. So I was a lucky one. And when I was there, um, well, I'm working for the Puerto Rican Cultural <laughs> Center and the hurricane happened in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So we were the very first organization that put together with the congressman, Luis Gutierrez, at that moment, all the, to the events together to raise the money to um, make in Puerto Rico um, um, land the very first airplane after the hurricane that was with United Airlines. Mm, that's right. And we filled that, uh, that plane with all the, the items that were, that were needed at that moment after the hurricane hurricane, but I didn't know anything about my family for about 15 days, I guess it was. Nothing. And then you were hearing on the news, this amount of dead people, dead people, more dead people and more dead people. And I was just thinking where my mom spent the hurricane that I knew that she went to my uh, cousin's house. I knew that uh, my house, my boyfriend, the dogs were like in a situation that there was a river close to it. Mm. And it was insane. So I didn't know my mom for 15 days. My boyfriend at that moment was like 22 days. Wow. Yes. So it, and it got to the point that I got so frustrated that I always had my phone next to me in bed because I always thought that there was going to come a call at some moment. So I was not even sleeping. Yeah. So the day that I got the call of my mom, I was having a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. So life is so unfair. Oh, yeah. Life is so unfair sometimes. <laughs> and when I, I I remember I was all wet because you know any any single noise of my phone I was like let's see let's see. So my mom she just she was like almost screaming when she called me. She was like I love you mm. and I love that. Please take me out of here. Mm. And I was like, what? And she said, like, we're running out of food. Places does not have any food. We don't know exactly when we're going to uh, get, like, more gas. The gas lines are about eight hours, you know. Yeah. 
and there is a curfew too. So it was insane. And when she tells me that, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I need to get her out of right. there. But the problem was that she was not the only one asking for help to try to get out of the island. Mm. So I remember that I have a friend that was for JetBlue. And I called him and I said, Ricardo, um, can you help me to see if I can find a flight to my mom getting out of Puerto Rico? Because I'm seeing everything. I cannot find anything to get out of Puerto Rico. And I said to my mom, tomorrow you will call me at this exact time so I can be pending off my phone. Mm -hmm. And I will let you know what I have achieved. Okay. And go to the same place at the same time. So my friend was able to tell me, Jesus, there's going to be a release of two seats. And that is going to be available worldwide. So I cannot be able to get that just for you. Mm. If you're lucky enough, if I tell you when they're going to release it, uh, because I'm, I am close to the person who's going to release mm -hmm. it, I'll let you know right away. And you need to book like flash. <laughs> Do it really quick if you get to yeah. it. And I was like waiting for that, for that text. And I said, now. When I refresh the JetBlue computer, it gave me the opportunity to do the booking. Wow. So I was able to put my mom and my nephew. It was exactly two seats. Mm. The next day on a fly to connecting in Fort Lauderdale, from Fort Lauderdale to New York, staying in New York overnight, and going to Chicago wow. the next day. So, and I thought it was going to be like, I, I prepared myself to pay $5,000 or something like that. And it came down to only $900 in that emergency moment, which was not that yeah. bad. I, I think so. And I did that, but the problem was the following one. How do I tell my mom that she have a flight next day? Mm. There was no communication. There was nothing. No communication. I was not able to call her back. She was going to call me the next day oh. after the flight departs in the morning. Yeah. Huh? So... And luckily, I, I took my chance. I saw a friend of mine from my hometown that he went to the north area to get some signal and placed on his Facebook, we are all fine for the family that wants to know about us. Mm. So I um, that was on Facebook. I went right away to the inbox and I said, are you still in San Juan? Are you still having signal? Are you, are you reading me right now? And he's like, yes, what's going on? And I'm like, this happened. I booked this to my mom. I need you to go to her house. This is the confirmation number. Tell her that she needs to be in San Juan tomorrow very early because her flight departs like at 10 or 11, something in the morning. So I just, by luck, to see if he was able to go to my mom yeah. and give her the information, she wasn't able to call me back yeah. or tell me anything. So close to 8 o'clock in the morning, the following day, I have my mom calling me from the airport. You're crazy. <laughs> So she did a whole thing that night. She packed everything. And um, and she even talked to the police that she needed to get gas to go to San Juan. Mm. So they found the most economic car in the neighborhood to put gas into that car and get her to San Juan. Wow. So that car didn't spend that much gas because there was not that much gas around the island. So and the police actually allowed her to to be doing the line at the gas station before the curfew expired. Mm. So she was there, did the line probably, she was like the second or third person that day. And then right away, she um, went straight to San Juan with a neighbor that took her over there to the airport. Wow. But and after that is pretty much everything was a good story. Let's say that because they were able to live with me for two years wow. in Chicago. Wow. In two years, so and I, I went out of my house when I was seventeen. Yeah, and I and when I, I was already like 
32 years old or something like that. And I said, oh, my God, how is this one going to turn out? I haven't lived with my mom for about like 15 years or so. So how is this going to work? And I'm like, okay, damn, Maria. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm very grateful. Yeah. I'm very grateful because that gave me the opportunity of knowing my mom in another way that I never had in, not even imagined myself before. Mm. It got me more closer to yeah. her. And I was able to see more closer, even though that I was there for my nephew all the time, to see my nephew from going from like 14 years old to be a 16-year-old guy. Mm. Wow. And those very crucial Pivotal, times. Yeah. And, and now he's going to be 18 yeah. next month. And... And I'm so grateful with life that that happened because I was able to enjoy them in a very good um, phase of their lives. And as of now, we're very close than ever. They even um, travel here to help me to move from Chicago to DC. Mm. So <laughs> so that's how close we are right now. So if, all the story, even though that happened, all of that um, actually had a, have a good end with it in terms of how I got closer to my mom. And, and through all this now, <laughs> you've become a doctor. You're working in, in Washington, D.C., <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, all these experiences as a, you know, being gay has worked for me, <laughs> as I always say. Being gay has worked for me because I was very open. At, so now I landed at the federal government and it was because of the experience that I have with the Puerto Rican Cultural Center, the CDC experience and all of that. And being in public health and um, a doctorate degree in epidemiology, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought that this was the right moment to actually um, apply. And this was my ultimate goal. I wanted to come here to work for the federal government all the time. And I apply under the stress that my boss in Chicago was not happy that I shut it down the office because I, somebody was suspected to have COVID at the, at the beginning. Mm. And he was, he was not happy. He told me that it was not a good call. And you know what? This person came out positive. Mm. So mm. I had a good call. Mm -hmm. I, I quarantined everybody. And that day that I was really mad because he uh, underestimated my criteria as an epidemiologist, mm -hmm. that that's my area, really pissed me off. Yeah. And I went to apply for jobs. And that's when I applied to the federal government. And it took them like about from March to August. Mm. I got the first email for, that I was um, for the, uh, up for an interview if I accepted. I said, of course. <laughs> so I got interview and I was very open on my interview. I said everything that I did. I'm a drag. I did this and that. But I have my bachelor's. I have my master's. And I have my doctorate. So, And here I am doing all of these kind of things. Uh, this is a work that I have been doing also with the community on the ground. Even you take it or not, if you discriminate me, well, I'm still here in Chicago yet. So don't worry. <laughs> 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 Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and oh. they actually selected me. Like I knew the next day right away that they were considering me because my personal references were being called that oh, day. Yeah. For for an appointment and they actually were interviewed. All this process was crazy. The clearance process with the government was crazy, but at the end of the day, I think it was worth it because I came here and now it's when I in Chicago, I didn't have time for anything. Mm. I was property of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center at that time. I was working 12, 13 hours, 14 hours. Mm. And even went to outreach at night to like hydrate, mm. to like these places over there that they were doing testing and all of that to Stingworks, all of it. Yeah. So, and I was going to supervise their work to make sure that they were doing it because at the end of the day, I had to make sure that they do the numbers so people, um, so the funders can still give me the oh, money. Yeah. 
So it was it was insane. But over here, I'm being able to have my regular schedule and do things that I like, like my podcast mm-hmm. too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Let's let's talk about that. So um, first of all, thank you so much for for the service that you, you've you've done for Puerto Rico, for Chicago, and and now on a national level. Thank you. It's my passion. So yeah, <laughs> no yeah. worry. I do it with like no hesitation. Right. And and part of your passion now is is uh, you started a podcast during the pandemic. And can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. So everything I started again with what happened to my sister. So my best friend, I this is the type of friends that I love to have because no matter the time, even though we don't talk every day or every week, when we come when we talk, it's like time haven't have mm-hmm. passed by. So she she started a podcast and I was seeing her feed and I was liking all of that. I didn't know what a podcast was. <laughs> You were a little busy. You had other things going on. I was so busy. I'm going to be very honest. I didn't know that I have that app already installed through Apple Podcasts on my iPhone. Mm. So, And I had it on my phone without understanding what was that app about. So that's how ignorant I was about the whole podcast community. So my friend was doing it. And then she asked me to be in her show because her show is about empowering women. And she wanted to put over there the story of what happened to my sister. Mm. And then I'm talking to her and I'm like, what are you doing? And what is exactly all of this? And then she explained to me. And just like right now, I was with her in a call. We were recording and all of that. And after that, I was amazed. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) So (laughs) why not? If I have all of these followers, all these people, um, they're pretty much in in Puerto Rico, they use more Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I'm now trying to build on my Instagram, trying to translate this um, Facebook friends to Instagram to follow me because the algorithm and all of that, and we're not going to that marketing and all of that stuff, but it's hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) to do that. But my friend um, talked me all of that and I said, why not have this kind of like a little bit of empowerment, a little bit of entertainment. And and at the same time, we can talk a little bit about some kind of things that they may not necessarily talk every single day. Mm. And I I believe that some of them does not necessarily know like stories like like bars like wiki wikis when back in the past. Many of them are new generations. And at the same time, there's um as of now, I'm developing this kind of strategy to try to engage also the non-binary community. Mm. There's a very very, very um, important. I believe it's an important um, matter to address and talk to this specific collective because of the fact that there are a lot of them and they're growing a lot. Mm-hmm. And one of the good things is that they appear to be very, you know, together. And why not to educate people in how to educate? And so now I'm starting to to go over that. So by that way, they can have also an inclusive space within the podcast. I always go back to talk to those performers that I met on the way on pageants mm. that I did like in Costa Rica in 2014, that I won Miss Latina Gay International. I made friends from all Latin America and in Spain, taking over their drag performance from Puerto Rico, Miss Gay Puerto Rico to compete over there, Mexico. So I'm trying to integrate all together. So I, as of now, I have not only listeners from Puerto Rico and the U.S., I have listeners in Canada, in Panama, in Costa Rica, in Colombia, Argentina, 
Brazil, Guatemala. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm getting that people. In. So I'm getting that people in and I'm telling them, keep spreading the words, keep spreading. Words. You never know to who people, to which person this is going to work for. So, um, and I feel so great because sometimes in the middle of the day, you are so stuck up with like the daily life and you get some messages through Instagram or Facebook and there's somebody that always writes to you, Thank you for doing this mm -hmm. and thank you for giving us to people that are probably not into drag uh, as of now, understand the drag community or I'm new into drag and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And following like the, the, the people that you bring in because I always also try to bring people that, and there's only 12 episodes over there, so there's a lot to do. So it, it is pretty much how to get prepared for the presentation in a pageant. Mm. So I get people in to talk about that, to teach other um, people that want to be a performer how to get ready, which people to contact, which details they have to take care. So, and that's what I'm doing with my podcast. And I believe every week I get, you know, more listeners. Every week there is something uh, like yeah. a, a new country that is being listened. And, and, and there's a lot to go. Mm. So I think at the end of the day, in a year or so, we will have a great network in terms of like communicating with the LGBT community and more at all that it is in Spanish mm. because I have realized that there was not in Spanish that much. And that's one of the things that I have been like discussing in Clubhouse, for for mm. example, mm -hmm. with, with people um, because there's a lot of podcast trainings over there, let's say that um, rooms, and you learn a lot, but there's not in, a lot in Spanish. And we have a lot of Puerto Ricans that left after Maria mm. to the U.S. and they miss a lot to be mm -hmm. in touch with their LGBT community, the local community in Puerto Rico. So I try to maintain that local thing of Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. but at the same time try to be general so other people from Latin America who speak Spanish can identify themselves too. Yeah. That's really special. Um, I, I love what, what you're doing with this. It's just this repetitive uh, cycle of service in your life, like how you, you work on yourself and then you go back and you help other people. And uh, it's, I see how much joy it's brought you too. I see how happy you are, how passionate you are. Uh, yeah, I, and actually, I feel so happy. Do I feel so happy to be here in DC now? Because if I were in Chicago, I was not going to be able to launch that because I was not going to yeah, have time. It was for time that. for something. Yeah. So every everything have like a time in your life to happen, and that's why I always accept it and I embrace whatever happens and go with the flow with it, because I believe there's always a purpose behind it, and I always go with my guts about it. And uh, what I feel, what my heart tells me that is best. And so far, it has worked for me to do it like that way. And to have this kind of like experiences makes me feel that at the end of the day, not only I feel happy, I also make people to feel happy. Mm. They People tell me that they even go to work. They have an hour traffic length to go to get to work. And they said, I need more episodes. And they were like, it's one and they've been driving me crazy. Are you, are you insane to do two episodes? So now what I'm trying to see if I can do two, but those two to see if I can do more international and one more local. Mm. But let's see, because it's like, it's not that easy. And you know uh, that for sure. We no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really excited uh, to be able to, to connect to other people with, uh, and can, I'm not going to do it justice because my Spanish is not nearly as good as your English. Can you give everyone the name of your podcast? Oh, it's called Ya with Jevea Altieri, but in Spanish it's Ya con Jevea Altieri. And it is because Ya, because it's like now, 
with Jebe Altieri, that's the translation in, in English now with Jebe Altieri, but yeah, it's because those are my initials, Y and A, Jebe Altieri, and that was like the, let's say, the slogan that I used to um, show at the presentation category at Miss Generation Puerto Rico, that I was saying like, in, in Spanish, it's like, Y is Y-A-S-A, so I say because my name is Jevea Altieri with initials Y-A, que juntas dicen ya que ya comienza el fortificado de este alfil con la imagen de esta servidora Jevea yes. Altieri. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's going to clap for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. So that's why people know me because of that. So, um, and I said, this is the best way to put, place the name to the show. Uh, so, and people will realize it's I, I'm me. so glad we got a little bit of uh, Jevea there at the end. You know, we had this. Yeah, She's still in Jesus, Jabea, this has been uh, so much fun. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with us and for all that you, you do and continue to do. We're really excited to see what's, uh, what you continue to do in life and we'll be smiling along with you. So thank you so much. No, thanks to you for the for the invitation. I look forward to get people to announce and have you in a little extension of something with me, even in English, because some of them speak uh, speak English. <laughs> so, and we can promote. They can if they if they know English, they can get into podcasts into English too. <laughs> Why not? So, and I see your podcast too, and it is so great to put over there those so they can familiarize themselves too. So, we will do uh, something yeah. soon too. So, don't uh, worry about we're it. We're excited. <laughs> we look forward to what the future holds. Thank you so much, and. Uh, we'll We'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Definitely. Thank you. Thank, thanks to everybody for listening. Awesome. What we love about Dr. Jesus's story is that when the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, gave him a clue, he followed it. It's a reminder for us here and to all of you listening that when you're in tune with yourself and your higher power, you'll be guided on where to go. To learn more about Dr. Jesus and to listen to his podcast, visit our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store, and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.